Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And tonight, we welcome writer, director, Jeremy Lanny, and co-stars Peter Jason and Stuart Pankin from the movie Deep in the Forest, which is now available on video on demand and digital. So go out and get it streaming at your favorite streaming retailer of choice. Guys, thank you so much for being here. How are you all doing tonight? You know, I got some back problems and uh, stomach issues, but I'm fine. Thanks for asking. You stole Peter's line. I played a doctor. Did you do that? I played a doctor on TV once. I can fix it. Oh, shucks. Can you say shucks on Dead Talk? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. You know, that's a great thing about the internet. The FCC doesn't really care. Uh, So let's talk about the movie. The movie, again, is called Deep in the Forest. Uh, To give our audience just a slight synopsis of what this movie is about, uh, if you were to tell this to somebody 20 years ago, you'd probably be laughed at in the face, but it's America breaking out into a second civil war, which unfortunately, if you tell it to somebody in today's world, it is not that far-fetched, which makes the movie that much more scarier. So Jeremy, I want to go ahead and start with you. Okay, you wrote this, you directed it. Like we said, it revolves around America breaking out into a second civil war. There's a group of people that are put together in a cabin deep in the forest. What immediately stands out about this group is the diversity within the group, which is uh, very well done considering how the stories about America being divided and factions starting to fight over each other. So the diversity that you included with the cast and characters how essential was that to your story? Well, um, I was part of uh, quite a few Democratic clubs, and it's a pretty accurate sort of representation of the folks at those clubs, you know, uh, in terms of age, in terms of ethnicity. Um, and the diversity also is not simply, you know, sort of age, ethnicity, gender. Um, I made sure I brought all sorts of folks in terms of their personalities together, because that's how you generate conflict. Yeah. Uh, so these are people, they're all Democrats, but there are a lot of different kinds of Democrats. Oh, yeah. And I, I really wanted to um, just look at the different kinds. What's the difference between, say, a leftist, a liberal and a progressive and a moderate? Those are all very different kinds of Democrats. Um, so it's div- it's diverse in that way, as well as, you know, ethnically, genderly, you know, in terms of age. Absolutely. Now, Peter, you are the leader of this Democratic group. You play a character named Mark Goodman. Uh Now, when you are going into character and you have to understand the character of Mark Goodman, so in your mind, Peter, walk us through what elevated Mark to be the the leader of this Democratic group. What kind of backstory did you give your character? Well, I was president of my college, and uh, junior college, Orange Coast College in Orange County. And the president of the college, Basil H. Peterson, pulled me into his office the very first day I'd been elected. And he said, this is going to be the loneliest job of your life. He said, all of a sudden, you're not going to have any friends because you're going to represent everybody. So uh, it made it made for some some strange feelings. You know, I have my own personal opinions about whatever the issue is, but I am not allowed to force my opinions on anybody. I'm allowed to only uh, hear everybody's opinion and kind of come to a 
a, a, a group conscience, if you will, of, of what that opinion should be. So uh, it was kind of a, a judge-like and a little bit like uh, a grandfather uh, of, all these, of all these different flavors that were happening uh, in front of me. And uh, so you're always in, in a kind of a quandary. Yeah. I, can't, I can't really flex my muscles but I can certainly uh, direct people in a, in a way. And I think the movie starts off, I hope I don't give away too much of it, but I hope, I think it starts off and uh, I, I do take it upon myself to kind of force myself upon them. But I won't tell you any more about that. We're going to get more into the leadership stuff as we go along because you bring up some very interesting points. Now, Stuart, uh, you play Max Steiner. Uh, a professor of European history, you your character carries around in your pocket the United States Constitution, which you tell us is from your dad when he immigrated to this country and he was becoming a citizen and he had to learn about the Constitution. Max uh, develops a very close relationship with uh, Amy, the daughter of the Washingtons. Uh, it's a very, it's a great relationship that develops between Max and Amy as you sort of explain to her what democracy is and how important it is, especially to immigrants coming to this country, as opposed to us that were born here and sort of kind of take it for granted that it's like that all over the world. So when it came to Max, uh, being the son of an immigrant, uh, how important was it for you to get the character right and to instill the values that he fe feels to have it come across to to the audience? Well, it was ultimately important. I mean, that's that's who the guy is. And especially when the crisis starts to happen in the country, uh, you know, to, to rely on uh, the, the, the sentiments and the precepts of the Constitution was tremendously important to, to, to the character. I mean, that's what Jeremy wrote. I mean, I know that my in-laws and my, my own family, they were all immigrants, and my father-in-law especially, a tremendous patriot. Uh, he was first generation, but he was a tremendous patriot, and he carried that, that pride, you know, in the face of a lot of people who, who were, you know, not necessarily supporting America, you know, throughout his life. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I've always, you know, and my, my father's father, you know, came from, uh, from Russia. And, you know, America <laughs> was terrific to them. I mean, it was, it's, 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 I still think it's a terrific country. It's got a lot mm -hmm. of problems, but a lot of people are trying to fix them. But if you look at the Constitution and you look at uh, the, the people who are, uh, in the country and in that room, in, in, in Jeremy's room, uh, it's important to Max to make sure that those precepts, those freedoms uh, are, 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 are understood and spread. And, uh, and the little girl is a, perfect, uh, is a perfect conduit from the old to the young to get that information out there and to keep it living. So yeah, I mean, that, that was the primary importance of the character, the constitution. I really related to Max's character because uh, I'm the only one in my family born in the United States. 
My parents immigrated here from Greece. My brother was born in Greece. He's my older brother. I was the first one in my family to be born in the United States. And I remember as a young kid when my parents were studying to become naturalized citizens. And you got to study and because you are tested. So that really resonated with me with Max's character. And I thought it was really spot on. Now, Jeremy... You sent me, uh, you passed on a very interesting message uh, to what sort of inspired you as you were writing this film, and that is Walter Hill. Walter Hill, for those people that don't know, is a very famous producer, director, writer. He's done movies like all the Alien movies, The Warriors, which is a favorite of mine. And Walter's concept is about putting people in a dangerous situation, removing the leader, and seeing the power struggle that ensues. So how much, so Jeremy, tell us how much of of an influence did Walter's work play in Deep in the Forest for you? Well, in terms of writing the story, a huge influence. Um, you know, I'm not sure where Walter Hill got the idea originally. Um, I know it's in an old Boris Karloff movie, uh, called The Lost Patrol, and it's about the French Foreign Legion. And I saw that template there. I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the first places that Walter saw that template. Yeah. But the template is basically uh, you take a bunch of disparate people, people who you know are from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people from different education levels, uh, from dif- different ethnicities and with different points of view, and you force them together, um, and then you put them in danger, and yes, you're right, you, you remove the leader. Uh, and then what happens is their struggle to survive is also a power struggle. Yeah. So yeah. that's what makes the struggle to survive interesting. Everybody wants to survive. Everybody usually has the best you know, uh, in mind for the group, but they're at odds. And that adds all sorts of internal tension and dynamics. Now, those dramatic, you know, the dramatic tension that you generate in that way, that translates into audience engagement. That's yeah. what makes the audience care is putting, you know, differing points of view and banging them up against each other. That's really how it works. Now, so just a quick example uh, would be you had mentioned Alien, right? Obviously, there's the Dallas character. Yes. That's played by Tom Skerritt. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. They remove him, you know, very famously in a a duct, right? He gets eaten by the alien. Or he doesn't get eaten. He gets cocooned by the alien. Uh, Now now it's a power struggle. Now we have to figure out who's going to take over. Ultimately, Ripley rises to the top. But, you know, and then in Aliens, they use the same kind of thing where the uh, the guy in charge gets a concussion. Yeah. And so he, he's incapacitated, same sort of dynamic. Then in something like Southern Comfort. That's Michael Bean uh, in Aliens. It was Michael. In Aliens, yes. Yeah. Oh, wait, is it Michael Bean or is it the guy? No, no, no. He remains, well, he's removed as well. Yeah. There's the guy who gets the concussion. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't know the actor's name, but you're right. It wasn't Michael But he's the guy who who isn't really, you know, I mean, he gets the job uh, because of his background, not because of his qualifications. Exactly. Right. And there's a similar situation in Southern Comfort, where they're in the swamp. And it's, um, uh, help me, Peter, David Carradine? No, Keith Carradine. Keith Carradine and Powers Booth. And there's an incompetent commander there. Yeah. And he's removed. And again, it's a power struggle. And the warriors. And what is the name of the guy who is it Cletus? Clytus? Uh Cleon. Cleon. So he's Cleon is removed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's the one character, I want to be war chief. 
you know, and then it becomes Swan and a James, battle. That's James Remar. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Ajax. Ajax. Ajax, right. Yeah. So it's Ajax and Swan immediately in the graveyard. Yeah. Start going at each other. So this is an ex- these are examples of that template that is very useful when you have an ensemble piece. You know, um, yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, Peter, you had a chance to work with Walter. Uh, Is that accurate? I've done 14 movies with Walter, yeah. So how do you think Jeremy, uh, you know, when as he was influenced to write Deep in the Forest with sort of Walter in mind, how, how do you think it came across for you having worked with Walter in the past? Yeah, uh, they're different directors, of course. Walter is, uh, uh, they do, they do, they have one thing in common, they create a family, both of them create a family. And uh, that, and they're both in charge of their ship. And uh, very seldom do you get that opportunity to work with somebody who's in charge of their ship. In the old days, that's the way it was. Yeah. But nowadays, it's, uh, you know, Union, Gulf and Western or somebody else runs the ship. And uh, they're all, you know, and it's not as much fun. When when you have one captain, then you know who to go to with your problem. And uh, it makes it easier on everybody. And and the family isn't confused. Mm-hmm. So uh, in that aspect, Jeremy and Walter are the same. In other aspects, uh, Jeremy, is, I believe, is a little shorter than Walter. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think I'm shorter than most people, Peter, so that's not saying very much. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, I, love, I love working with Walter. We've, we've made many movies together. It's the first time I realized when, when uh, you explained uh, what a Walter Hill film is. And, uh, uh, he does it very subtly, and you don't really, I mean, it's like... can't be in all movies, because I, I, mean, my fir- I first met him in The Driver, and, and I don't know, is somebody re- removed, from, is the leader removed in The Driver? I'm not sure. The next one was 48 Hours. Is there uh, somebody removed from power in the dri- in 48 Hours? Not in 48 Hours, no. In, 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 in Johnny Handsome, in Red Heat, in uh, uh, The Long Riders, no, maybe... No. Maybe the group breaks apart when uh, they, they split, uh, when, when Jimmy Keach and, and, and Stacy go their way and Dave and Keith and Bobby Carradine go their way and the Cold go. But uh, uh, Bruce, uh, you know, most of the movies I've done with Walter don't fall under that category. So yeah. that was a little confusing for me. I see it in The Warriors. I see it in uh, The Swamp uh, in uh, Southern Comfort. Uh, I don't know, Geronimo? Did that happen in Geronimo? Uh, no, I don't think so, no. You no. know, he, he has such a wide variety of, uh, of, of films that I think it's hard to pigeonhole him like that, just like it's hard to pigeonhole Jeremy the same exactly. way. If you see a, a, a group of his, I've done oh, quite a few of Jeremy's things too, and, and uh, uh, he's, he's, he's different in everything. I'm different in everything uh, that he gives me to play uh, from... Uh, from a dying cancer patient to Orson Welles. I played a lot of different, different characters for, for Jeremy. Absolutely. Uh, so hard to say that that's the way that director does something. Exactly. And we're not trying to pigeonhole Walter to doing it only one way, but it, it's amazing on how Jeremy uh, found certain movies and the viewer engagement aspect that you mentioned, Jeremy, is fascinating because as a writer and a director of films, ultimately that's what you want. You want your viewers to be engaged in the content. Uh, when the script was done and 
you got to the set and you were ready to start filming, did you have any nerves on the execution of what you wrote and how to get it right? Well, we had done some rehearsals. Uh, we had a table read and the principals, um, uh, the Nancy Wilson character, that's Ursula Brooks, and Derwin Jordan, who played uh, Ethan Washington. Um, so they had read together with me, so they had done some rehearsing, and then they rehearsed a little bit with um, uh, Makara Gamble, who played Amy, the Amy. daughter. So they, they became a family unit, um, you know. And yeah, I had done some directing. I wish we had more time and more money. You know, if we had had those, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge, you were talking about influences. It's not just Walter Hill. I mean, I'm a cinephile. Uh, and if I had to say, you know, uh, the folks who've really influenced me as well would be somebody like, you know, um, you know Sidney Lumet said. Sidney Lumet would rehearse the entire movie for three weeks like it were a play. Oh. I mean, that's expensive. Yeah. Now, it may, yeah, expensive, yes and no, right? Because you're saving money in the number of takes and the back end and the quality. But you do have to spend three weeks in rehearsal, you know. Uh, that's a dream of mine. Wow. Yeah. If I yeah. if I could ever afford that, that would be heaven, you know. Yeah, um, it's it's like that's unheard of in today's world of trying to do it that way. Uh, you know, Stuart, the film starts with uh, a television interview. Uh, a professor is being interviewed and is really laughing at the notion that America's democracy can fall into a dictatorship. It's not going to happen. This is not, uh, it's not possible in any way, shape, or form. And then it does happen. Uh, what do you think is the impact and uh, how it relates to us in the real world? Do you think we take our democracy for granted as Americans? Why don't you ask me puffball questions like you asked Jeremy? <laughs> oh, why not? You know, well, first, first of all, Larry Cedar, uh, terrific actor, is the is the uh, the newscaster. Uh, what, what was the question? Does the does democracy? What well, is it? He goes on. The movie starts off with the him on the on the television, uh, dispelling any notion that America's democracy is in danger of falling into a dictatorship and all that. And it was very important for Jeremy to put that in the beginning of the film uh, for us to see. Uh, I mean, it's, it's because it sort of mirrors uh, what I, what I can compare it to is Americans taking for granted democracy of it ever being taken away from us. No, I, in my personal opinion, no, I don't think it can happen. I mean, there's many too many checks and balances. Yeah. You're going to get groups, you know, springing up. You're going to get the June 6th peoples and you're going to get maybe, you know, types of groups that are the fictitious people in, in Jeremy's movie. But no, do people take democracy for granted? Yeah, some of them. But there's, like I said before, enough people, you know, addressing the wrongs and the ills of that. Look, we got 350 million people in this country. You know, people always point to Norway and Sweden. There's six people in Norway. There's 12 people in Sweden. You know, they talk about, you know, and the, the ethnicities and the religion are, are, are the same. You're talking about America, 300, well, maybe 320 million people with God, I mean, with a palette of religions and, 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 and ethnicities and, and colors and creeds. Uh, it's astounding that it's gone this well for so long. Yeah. Uh, I personally don't believe that democracy is going to be, you know, 
changed, turned into a dictatorship because of a few people. There's enough people, decent, good people, that know, look, there's no absolute truth, you know, absolute, you know, good and bad. I mean, the, you know, people who went into, into the towers in 9-11, they yeah. thought that was good. We thought it was bad. But there's enough good people to, uh, to, to and checks and balances to keep the constitutional freedoms uh, and that we enjoy and that America has enjoyed for, uh, you know, for a long time intact. And like I said, there's a lot of problems with the country, but there's a lot of people trying to work on it. Exactly. And, you know, as long as you get those groups of people trying to work on diversity and religion and equality and, and gay rights and all that stuff, Black Lives Matter, as long as you have those people, those core people, you know, working hard. And as you, as we all know, if you read the paper, it's not in the background anymore. It's not under the yeah. fold. It's not in page seven. You know, it's right out there. Gay rights, Black Lives Matter. Uh, and, and as long as you've got those people uh, and, and you can keep the press free, you know, I think Jeremy mentioned that in the movie, as long as you keep the press free and active, no. Uh, whether people take it for granted or not, it's not going to go away. It's okay. my personal opinion. It's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's fair enough. Uh, now, Jeremy, uh, I want people... You could have gone two ways in making this film. I mean, you could have shown the fighting and so on that was happening in the street, but the path that you choose is much better. You show what happens to a small group of people who are trying to survive the war, okay? Uh, the way they were brought to the cabin was done under secrecy. They don't know where they are. Uh, this is a psychological drama slash thriller uh, on what happens to people when their government falls apart around them. Uh, what do you want people to walk away after watching this film? What is the main theme that you want them to walk away with? Well, I certainly didn't want to do propaganda. You know, um, you know, uh, as an individual, as a personal um, citizen, um, I am a Democrat. But um, what I wanted to create was art. And when you do art, your first loyalty is to dramatic tension. And so I don't have any particular message. I was creating a tragedy. Um, you know, I have uh, for Nancy, the main character. I mean, she basically does everything that I would do mm -hmm. and gets screwed for it. That's tragedy. That's right. I mean, she's a fundamentally good person who, I mean, literally, she does everything that I would do. And what I do is create a story that, can, you know, the fates conspire to put her in a situation where she sacrifices herself and her, you know, psyche and her, I guess, morality in a sense for the group. Because, you know, if she didn't behave the way she did, the group wouldn't survive. Mm -hmm. But she sacrifices herself to do so. And it, it's kind of like a tragedy. So that's not a political message. That's a character message. Yes. That's, you know, um, so that's, you know, that's my first loyalty. Um, you know, I always give the devil his due. I always give my characters. Now, here there are no devils. There are no antagonists. There are just different people who see things differently. Mm -hmm. But I have written plenty of villains. And when I write villains, I give them everything I've got. I try to get into the head of the villain and basically because villains don't think they're villains you know no. they, they you know so for me my point is simply that you know i wasn't looking to do agiprop or whatever you know this is not something and it's interesting because some of the you know the reviews are very you know complicated and mixed which is great 
you know, um, do we, what do we think at the end of the movie? Do we think that that family is going to stay together? Mm. I don't know. I present the possibility, you know, I want people to walk away thinking about that stuff. I don't present easy answers. I create complicated situations and I wanted to confront people with tragedy, classical tragedy. The, you know, the idea that somebody, you know, like Oedipus or something where, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not Oedipus's fault. <laughs> you know, he was born to who he was born to, you know, exactly. it's, it's confronting the idea that sometimes, you know, the fates just have it in for you. Absolutely. And, and you know, so I, I, that was kind of the model. It wasn't saying I'm a Democrat with a democratic message or, or anything, you know, um, they happen to all be Democrats because I know Democrats and it's more interesting for a character piece to yes. have those people. Mm -hmm. So it isn't, you know, devolving into some political screed of some sort. That's not what the movie's no, about. No, it's, it's about not. people. It's about people so. and what happens to them, like I said, when stuff falls apart. Uh, Peter, uh, Jeremy brought up an interesting point about how bad people don't think they're villains. Uh, what I find funny, and I'm asking you this question, both you or Stuart can answer this question as veteran actors. I love how actors who play villains always have a justification on their villainous character. It's not really that bad. <laughs> As an actor, I don't think I've ever seen you play a bad guy role. Have you ever played a bad guy role, Peter? Oh, yes. Plenty. Let me ask you this. Do you enjoy playing the bad guy over the, over the good guy? Absolutely. They're the most fun. But, Peter, I mean, talk about the bartender. Have you ever played a bad guy role? The answer is no. All my guys are good guys. But even my bad guys are good guys. Exactly. I love that. I love that how actors can take, like, they can play the most heinous, villainous character. Anthony Hopkins is a perfect example. Here's a guy who eats people. Yeah, we're laughing at him, having an old friend for lunch. <laughs> you know, and we're, we're laughing at him. We're enjoying it. And, uh, uh, but bad guys are the most fun. They're, they're just the most fun, especially with a smile. Exactly. If you like the character, it doesn't matter what what the audience is going to think of you. If you like your character, he's a good guy. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Jeremy, back before, to you. Before I get off, I'd like to say uh, uh, I want to hear uh, uh, Jeremy say uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Oedipus. I want to I want to do that plural again. How, how I'm sorry. What about Oedipus? Yeah. What was the plural? He's asking. I'm sorry, what was the question? What was the plural of Oedipus? He wants oh, you to say. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were saying Oedipus. Is... More than Oedipus one Oedipus is, is Oedipus. 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 <laughs> I had a fine last time. Um, but the one thing you might want to talk about, uh, Peter, is the bartender. That's not a nice guy. I thought he was a great guy. Some guy <laughs> Here we go. Coming into my bar and he's trying to take over the bar and I try to kick him out, but he's. No, no, we were nose to nose. Nobody you know, that. Do you know that reference, John? Yes, I do. Okay, good. I good. know exactly what he's talking about. Place, you know. <laughs> now, Jeremy, you mentioned Nancy, who is the lead character. I'm what he wants. Uh, Nancy is the lead character. Uh, let's talk about her husband. Let's talk about the marriage between mm -hmm. Nancy and Ethan. It's a marriage that is strained. Uh, we know about them individually. And these are two people that are completely different. Uh, there's bitterness between them. There's resentment on the part of Nancy. So when it came to time to write Ethan, what did you use as motivation to develop Ethan's character? Well, I was thinking 
And again, it's not as strained. Uh, I mean, he's a, um, a civil rights attorney, mm -hmm. and she is now a soccer mom who used to be a serious activist, out in the streets activist. And so um, just over the course of the marriage, there's a little bit of tension, but really it comes out under pressure. It wouldn't have come out otherwise. Yeah. You know, they would have just carried on with, you know, a good relationship, not a great, not the greatest relationship ever, but a decent relationship. Um, there is a lot of common ground. Um, I didn't have a lot of time to set up their relationship. So I probably put a little more focus on the tension in the beginning so that when it comes out later, it'll make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but what I used for Ethan is I was looking for somebody who does the right thing to a fault. Now, that's the important part about that phrase is to a fault. Yeah. He will do the right thing if it means everybody dies Yeah. because he's incapable of doing the wrong thing. That's a nice character to put against Nancy, who does the right thing up to the point where people start to die or her child is threatened. And there's also the maternal thing going on there. Uh, Nancy, I'm sorry, Ursula playing Nancy, and I worked a lot on the maternal. We have to say <laughs> Ursula did a fantastic job as Nancy. Oh, yeah. She was oh, brilliant. Yeah. And both of them are parents in real life. Mm -hmm. So that made it a little bit easier. And, you know, uh, the Ethan character believes he's doing the best. But in fact, you know, if they had listened to him from the beginning, the whole, they would have been discovered. Yes. If they had let Mills, I mean, you know, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but if they had let the one character go, Mills, his character's name is, you know, basically that would have been it. So if they had listened to Ethan, ironically, he's the saint. He's he's right. He's the person who listens to everybody's point of view. He evaluates. He's a good judge of character, that kind of thing. If everybody did what he was suggesting, they'd all be dead. While Nancy is the type of leader, and what makes her a leader is that she will do whatever it takes to keep the group safe. and Including sacrificing herself. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Uh, Stuart, let's go back to Max's character. Max, uh, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but he makes a decision in, towards the end of the film. Uh, you can call it a very selfless decision. Uh, decision to what he thought to help the group out well, don't he, tell me what it is because i haven't seen it <laughs> <laughs> when you were putting yourself in max's shoes did you have a hard time coming to terms why this man is making this choice uh or did you find it very easy to understand no i i i felt it easy i mean there's lots of things that is going on with Max physically and emotionally that I, I really don't want to say any because, you know, you just ruin the thing. I mean, and the, the whole camel dance n number would have, would have, you know, it was spoiled. But no, I, I, it wasn't hard. I mean, the character was plotted to the point where it was almost inevitable. I mean, it, it, it you know, you talk about Derwin or, or uh, what's his name? What's his character's name? Uh, Ethan. Ethan's character, you know, Max made a judgment based on, on, on the growing relationship he's had with those people in the room. And he realized that, you know, and the, and the affection he had toward uh, Eva's character, Abby, is that her name, Abby? Abby DeViri is the yeah. character. Abby DeViri, you know, the, the, the closeness. But it came to the point where there was nothing else he could do. There was nothing else that he could do to help or to 
See, I, 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 I'm, I'm, it's hard to, to say things. I know without, it's hard working without spoiling the spoiler. But it was yeah. basically to answer your question in a very strange, long way. It was, uh, it was the inevitable. It was inevitable. It was something that that he felt that he had to do. He did, and uh, and I think as as the lights were dimming, uh, he felt happy about it. I mean, he just felt happy about it. And uh, it, it's like Jeremy said, it's you know better to you know you do the right thing and you feel good about it. And I think Max ultimately, if you, if you ask him about it, he threw himself on the good. sword. Yeah, yeah. Well, now you, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Oh, it's a metaphor. <laughs> now, Peter, uh, Mark goes on a supply run. Uh, you guys are running low on supplies, and you need stuff. Max needs medicine. Uh, Max has a medical condition. You need food. You need supplies. Mark does not leave Nancy in charge. Uh, Nancy is chosen as the leader by a group vote for the from the people that are left behind. Putting yourself in in your character's shoes, do you think Mark would approve of Nancy being the leader of that group? No. Why? To, is she too, um, I mean... She's too demonstrative. She's too excitable. She's too... Uh, uh, she has a short fuse. You know, it's too emotional. I would put Max in charge. Oh, in a minute. Uh, and... Uh, uh, what's the cook's name? I forget her name. Um, Wendy Worthington played her. Oh, oh partner, Sandy, you know. Sandy Boyd. Yes, yeah. Sandy. You see, Sandy is level-headed. She's uh, uh, got. She's elderly. She's uh, got some years on everybody and some knowledge on everybody. And I would, I would, I would, I would, I would put the combo of of of, of, of Stuart and Sandy in charge of the group because uh, my character kind of likes them more than anybody, really. <laughs> And trust them more than anybody. And if I want to protect the people, uh, your character has great taste. <laughs> it's called acting. So acting. <laughs> but that's that's you know it's that's an imperfect world. That's what I would be. That's what I have done. Uh, I didn't get that opportunity, but I'm not going to tell you why. Uh, when the helicopters come, all come in and and, and take me away. <laughs> and Dumbo is there. Don't forget Dumbo. <laughs> Now, Jeremy, was that done? Was that done on purpose, Jeremy? When Mark goes on the supply run, he doesn't leave someone in charge. Uh, he sort of says he doesn't say anything as in regards to who's in charge. He doesn't see them. In, I believe I said goodbye. He said goodbye, but he didn't really see the group as being in danger. He thought they were safe. They're too nestled away in the woods for anybody to find them. That's not ultimate. Well. well um, you know, the um, way, uh, Wendy Worthington plays Sandy Boyd, and she is left in charge. She's given the gun. Yes. Um, yeah. But my point there was that that is not because she's the right person necessarily to be in charge. It's because that's the democratic process. 
because they've taken over these rules from the Democratic Club. It's Robert's Rules of Order. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to ask myself is, okay, Robert's Rules of Order are very useful in a meeting, right? Um, you know, how useful are these in a life or death combat? situation? <laughs> you know, I mean, so so that was kind of she is, you know, definitely it's almost like having a vice president who you might not want to actually be president, but yeah. you need a vice president. Uh, yeah, it, that was kind of the, where I was going with that. And what winds up happening is the natural leaders and the natural conflicts start rising. And she herself knows that she's not necessarily perhaps the best leader as things get worse and worse and worse. So she doesn't fight for leadership when it, she gets a vote of no confidence. That's she, true. She's okay with that. You know, so, uh, but again, my, my point was that, you know, these, these nice rules that work in one context may not work in another context. Absolutely. Uh, it's like in Lord of the Flies when they've got the conch, you know, yeah. and they give the little fat kid and he goes, I have, I have the conch, I have the conch. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that the conch in itself does not authority make. No. No, it does not. It does not. And you mentioned the tragedy earlier. We're not going to give anything away. But uh, when everything sort of wraps up, a split decision is made that ultimately affects Nancy's life for the rest of her life. Uh, is that the moral uh, dilemma that you wanted to put her character in? The tragedy that it was ultimately leading up to? Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I wanted her to do, like I said, everything that I would do every step of the way, keep putting her in double binds, impossible situations where there is no good answer. Okay. There are just two bad answers. Actions have consequences. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. Um, you know, and so I wanted to keep giving her the lesser of two evils, lesser of two evils, lesser of two evils, until you get to the point where the entire story and the fates have conspired that she does, again, the only thing she can possibly do to save everybody and is destroyed for it. Exactly, exactly. And, well, and, and that's kind of my definition of classical tragedy. It is. It's, it's, I would say the ending of this film is more tragic than your typical Greek tragedy that you would read. So... Uh, it, it, we can't talk anymore because we're going to be giving too much away about it. But please, guys, go out and watch this movie. It's called Deep in the Forest. It stars uh, Stuart Pankin, Peter Jason. It's written directed by Jeremy Lanny. It's available on your favorite digital streaming platform of choice. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. I just want you to know, don't expect to watch this film and see a America Civil War action movie. This is not it. This is about the psychological drama that unfolds when a war breaks out around a group of people who are just trying to survive and write out the war and the circumstances that they are put through and the challenges they have to face. You guys did an excellent job with your characters. Jeremy, you did a fantastic job writing the and story. And if you like nudity... And violence, you will love Deep in the Forest. John Carpenter will love this movie, and uh, it's if you like They Live, you're going to love this movie, and he's going to love the fact that you're wearing his shirt. That's right, Christine. That's right, John Carpenter, They Live, The Thing. Thank you guys so much. Uh, as I Thank mentioned, you. now, you guys, almost everybody out there has seen They Live. Now, you, everybody recognizes Peter as being from They Live. You know, Peter, when I 
say I'm having Peter Jason, I'm like, he's from They Live. You know what's the one scene from They Live that I described from you? And they're like, oh, that's who he is. You know what the one scene is? You're the guy that gives them the contact lenses when yeah. they arrive at the meeting. Not contact house. lenses, they're glasses. <laughs> they're actually glasses. So once you tell them that, they're like, I know exactly who it is. So anyway, it's been an honor talking to all three of you guys. Thank you so much. Check out the movie Deep in the Forest. I want to thank Jeremy Lanny, Peter Jason, Stuart Pankin for being our guests. Until next time, stay safe, guys, and stay walking. Good night. Give our love to the president. <laughs> thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>